Seller Jams. Welcome back, guys. This episode, we're going to talk to my friend, Chris McCabe, who I met on a boat in Germany. This dude has seen everything. Every kind of account suspension or listing suspension you can imagine. He's an ex-Amazon employee that took his knowledge and skills from working inside the belly of the beast and created his own agency to help companies when they're in their times of most distress and highest need, i.e. when companies get suspended, when they get listings, listings taken down, when they get any kind of scary notification from Amazon. This dude is the fixer. He's been quoted by Verge and a bunch of other publications. Uh, he has his own um, video series that's pretty dope. You should check it out. I, I know you guys are going to love this chat. Right on. Welcome, everybody, to Seller Jams. This is Chris McCabe. We're talking to you. This man is ex-Amazon, now spends all of his time helping brands and helping Amazon brands with the uh, dark side of, of selling on Amazon. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, the dark side of the moon. The He's the fixer. He's the guy you call when yeah. all of the shit goes haywire. Uh, he gets accounts unsuspended, gets listings unsuspended. He communicates with seller support. While you're just saying, why the fuck don't you, why the fuck don't you monkeys know what you're talking about? Aren't there any human beings over there? Chris knows the uh, the actual protocol to get things really done. Uh, he knows how to communicate with those guys. He's got the email addresses, the right email addresses to email, the right the right uh, people to call, and the right communication uh, protocol to take. So the man is a wizard. He was just like featured in a, a Verge article recently that was passed around a lot about uh, Chinese sellers and hijackers and and the the uh, the cutthroat side of Amazon. And uh, yeah, so welcome, welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, Chris Davy and I uh, have joked uh, with you about doing like a three-way triple Chris show action uh, adventure webinar series, and I still think that we should do that. Yeah, we definitely should um, figure out a triple Chris threat sometime soon. Yeah, dude, three Chris's. Three Chris's is better than one. That's the old saying. What we could accomplish. Yep. Agreed. Um, so I don't spend a lot of time with seller support. It's mostly seller performance, product quality. Seller performance. Infringements. Yeah, seller support. Um, that's kind of where they're training. I mean, some say about this uh, seller performance too, but seller support, they're training humans to act like robots, right? Like mm -hmm. reading a script to you. Yes. They give you the answer. My favorite one is they give you the answer they gave the last guy because maybe your situations are similar. Oh, um, yeah. But it's just fresh in their mind from the last call. It might not mean that they actually looked in your account or they actually heard what you said about what's going wrong. So in terms of the like picking up the phone part, um, still even now with you know people I can ask or talk to about this or that problem, a lot of this gets accomplished in writing. And... Mm. Um, being able to represent, I mean, at least in talking about suspended ASINs or accounts, being able to represent yourself, your account, your potential improvements, what you've identified as weaknesses, like having a good writer who can explain these things in a page or in, in even an effectively written bulleted list, that can make a huge difference between people who get 
get reinstated, get themselves reinstated or people who have to come to me. So. Right on. Yeah. Dude, tell us. So, I mean, I've known you since we met on a boat, uh, in Germany a couple of years back, but, uh, I mean, between it's certainly between then and now even, but since, since you started doing this and, and now you've built quite a reputation and quite a successful business around this as people start to realize that, wow, yeah, the hate side of the love-hate relationship with Amazon is, uh, there's a reason for that. <laughs> and, and people like you need to exist to help. Um, t- take us through your journey from, like, I know you started, I mean, from back when you were working at Amazon as an Amazon employee or even before that, how, how'd you end up here? I mean, I got to Amazon, if I go way far back to the earlier 2000s, I got to Amazon because I had a background in credit card fraud investigation, um, customer oh, perfect. fire fraud. So I worked kind of in the dot-com boom years a little bit with um, making, making sure people bought what they said, what it looked like they bought. I'd have to call people verify purchases. I got to Amazon because I worked at companies like Blue Nile, the online diamonds and jewelry uh, seller and other places where people were apt to commit fraud. So I was going to say, yeah, that's, that's, where, that's where probably half the fraud is taking place. Right. And verifying international purchasing using credit cards and anytime information didn't match up. I mean, I started with Amazon in the A to Z guarantee claims. So reading buyer claims against sellers, third party sellers they bought from and the sellers had a chance to represent their sides. So I was kind of the judge after taking in both sides and following up with them um, if I needed more information, but usually taking the information in emails and messaging and making a decision based on that, whether the buyer got their money back or not. So I started in the, in the A to Z guarantee area, quickly got over to seller performance, seller evaluating seller accounts, learning policy better, enforcing policies against sellers. And then of course you get into reviewing accounts for suspensions, deciding if I would just send a warning or you know some listings were improperly created. Do you just cancel them and send a warning or find more problems and suspend the account? Um, and then naturally I would look at the appeals if they, maybe not the same sellers, but if we had emails coming from self-performance from people who wanted to get reinstated, I would go through the plan of action, um, make sure they had root causes of the suspension identified clearly. They knew what they were talking about. They weren't just sort of trying to tell us what we wanted to hear. And then of course, uh, reinstating the ones who, who mer- merited, you know, another chance. Dude, it's so fascinating for me to hear you talk about this because it's, you know, from my perspective, dealing with uh, seller performance uh, in Seller Central, it seems like there's, it's like dealing with like the Wizard of Oz. Like you don't know like what's behind the curtain, you know, that it, it, it seems like it's not actual human beings making human judgments. Right. And like hearing you say that like, well, you know, I'm trying to make sure that the seller really knows what he's talking about. He's not just trying to tell me what I want to hear. That's really, that's really encouraging because like it's, it feels sometimes when it's like, for instance, back when my brand used to get hijackers all the time in like 2016, 20, part of 2017, even um, when it was like totally rampant and anybody could sell on any listing, I would try to get them removed. And it was like, I could say anything and it would, it wouldn't matter unless I did this exact thing, unless I submitted a ticket with seven points in order, one, 
a test order of the unauthorized uh, seller. Two, um, a picture of the product. Three, the link to the ASIN. Four, a link to the seller's um, account page. It was like, if I didn't do that exact protocol, even if one little piece was off, it was like talking to a robot machine. I would just get an automated like copy and paste message that says, thank you for your inquiry. Please respond with points one through seven. I've pasted below. It's like, you know, you don't, you at a certain point, you don't even think of the team as humans. They send like the same generic kind of canned message, pre-written messaging, right? But it doesn't mean a person isn't sending it. Most people think they're getting an automated response or, you know, they've written a POA, they spent all day on it and somebody just kicked it back. It doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that they reviewed it. I'm sure there are many times that they didn't do what they were supposed to do and they looked at it quickly and they chucked it. But it, it does mean that somebody's reading it in theory, at least. Um, and there is a person, it's not just you're getting a bunch of blanket bot responses uh, every time you send something in. Um, there is a person who has to decide if you get reinstated or not. And I think one big uh, gap in seller thinking when they deal with seller performance or product quality or notice teams is they never really put themselves in the shoes of the investigator for how you should compose a plan of action. What is that person going to pay the most attention to what will they have time to read? Yeah. They'll get, you know, I have a service where people send me a POA before they send it in and I still get like five, six, seven pagers <laughs> or um, just these long diatribes, these long tangents that uh, don't have much to do with. I mean, over time it's gotten better. Sellers are kind of not doing that as much, not rambling so much, but yeah. you still see people kind of their first effort is definitely not their best. I think they need. To oh, yeah. I think they need to kind of sit on it for maybe not a day, but at least a few hours and go back to it and rewrite or edit a bit more before they start pushing uh, appeal buttons. No doubt. Yeah. And emotionally charged. It's similar to like, you know, any kind of human conflict. Like if you get a text that upsets you, texting immediately back is like the worst thing you can do when you're like really upset or really angry or feel wronged, you know, taking a breath, taking a, you know, taking a couple minutes or, or even a day before you text back is probably the best thing you can do. Cause I hear all the time, I spend and on accounts that we manage, we see all the time, you know, half of the appeal or even more than half of the appeal is all about how they were wronged. Yeah. Well, you shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't have done that. I sent in what you wanted. You still didn't take it, blah, 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 blah. All this emotionally charged text. Whereas, I mean, in my experience, they just don't give a fuck no, about I mean, any of that. It's not going to help you at all. I mean, if you get an investigator who's only done three or four investigations for the last 49 minutes, and you know they're supposed to average 12 or 13 of these an hour or 14. Oh, is that the case? And if you're, yeah, IPH, investigation. Oh, wow. And they've been using that metric on investigations since the beginning of time for years, decades. So uh, certainly back to when I was um, working there. So... If you send them something, they're actually kind of happy. If it's so far off the mark, all they have to do is annotate your account quickly and send you a denial, right? You're, you're giving them an easy layup opportunity to skip you. Look so at that. It doesn't make them miserable necessarily to be like looking at it thinking, oh, there's 10 pages here. It's an easy one. <laughs> there's a lot of extraneous. Yeah, it's not a difficult one at that point. It's an easy decision because no one is going to read that. Um, yeah. And, you know, I understand that people think investigators don't read them anyway. Sometimes they get answers right away from, you know, after they've spent all day writing something. But um, you just don't want to 
kill your odds of having a real review by, you know, cutting yourself off uh, like that and making the chances just down to zero. Because then it doesn't matter who reads it. It could be somebody who's attentive, prof- you know, seasoned professional veteran investigator, or it could be a complete amateur rookie. It won't matter. Neither one will read something with extraneous content or like um, copy and paste that your buddy sent you a POA. He said, I got suspended for the same thing. Just use mine. Um, something you found in the forums or on the groups. I mean, there's a lot of sharing going on and there's a lot of templates. I guess they're just cheap, you know, cheap copies, but templates are sold. That's another situation where the investigator is like, oh, I've read this one six times today, which means the seller didn't do his homework or her homework, didn't put the time in. I don't need to read this. I'm bouncing it back. That's another easy investigation for them. That's it's so fascinating to hear from your perspective from being on the inside. But uh, yeah, so take us through that journey. Then. So you're in there, you're reviewing cases. Yeah, it was it was a daily. I mean, it was I won't lie. It was a grind to do that, you know, especially with reading appeals, suspending people, sending warnings, uh, killing listings, doing that every day for what was it? Uh, five and a half years. So, oh, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, obviously I did other things. I was mentoring. Um, we had kind of a classroom training situation one summer where I had investigators in a group and we were doing them all at once instead of, I mean, there was some one-on-one training too, but um, at that point, Amazon was expanding to the point where we had to train in groups, uh, so much hiring. And I got to work on Amazon Europe since I speak French and I was working on the UK queues as well. So that was different and interesting. Um, and I started auditing investigations. That was kind of a mixed bag because they had these crazy parameters they wanted us to use when auditing our peers. Um, I, let's just say it wasn't hundred percent objective and, um, a lot of bias was still in the, uh, in the process. I think maybe it was an early iteration of what auditing investigations would look like. I, I can only hope it's a, a better process now, although I kind of fear that they're not doing much auditing right now, but. Um, it was varied enough that I could do it for over five years. I mean, as time went on, I could, you know, sit in meetings with engineers, talk about tool improvements that we needed, talk mm-hmm. about what kinds of sellers we wanted to group together into what we called buckets, like investigative buckets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of it was email cues, seller performance, policy cues, um, taking somebody's report of bad behavior or a buyer's complaint about the quality of a product, running that down, investigating, doing a lot of ASIN level investigations. It was varied enough that I would, you know, even though some of it was kind of rote repetition, I could still find it interesting and, and pursue um, the, the most interesting angles about it. So, okay. So yeah. then what made you leave after five years? Uh, some of that, I think, was Seattle. I lived in Seattle for 10 years, and I did not plan on living in Seattle so long. Too much rain. Well, no, it's not so much rain. I just need sunlight. I like I like the four seasons, I guess. That vitamin D. Yeah, the vitamin D is important. Got to um, get that D. I mean, if you're kind of like Probably working gonna all the that time. Out. I mean, I worked, I would say I worked six days a week. Most of the time I worked at Amazon. That's the rep. Amazon has a reputation for that. Yeah, working so their employees to the bone. Yeah. Well, I mean, some of that was voluntary on my side, but um, that plus the the vitamin D, you start combining things, you know, you get, you get bad results after 10 years. So 
I wanted more sunlight in my life and I'm from the Northeast. I, I always planned on moving back here to be closer to family. So, um, yeah. Okay. I was going to be living in New York where you are now, right? I was living in Brooklyn, but I decided after a year that I would move back up to uh, Massachusetts. So you moved before you even knew that you would start the agency or start doing the consulting. Um, in those days I was meeting with people that I worked with at Amazon to see if they wanted to do this sort of thing with me. I knew it would be a lot to handle by myself. Yeah. But then I ended up, I, I started slowly enough for the first several months, I guess, six months. I was kind of working with a hand, small hand picked group of clients. Not. And what year was that? 2014. Oh, 2014. Okay. Right yeah, on. It was about four and a half years ago that I started. So the first six months, it didn't really become like a all the time phone calls, emails, every hour thing until maybe March of 2015, right around that time. So right around four years ago is where I started doing like the six, seven days a week of consults and helping people reinstate their accounts and that sort of thing. So. Okay. Yeah. Right on. It's, and it was first just you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, and how many, how many people are on the team now? Over time, I was able to interest some of the people I had spoken to um, previously who had worked with me at Amazon who weren't sure. I mean, they might have been, they were working on other stuff. It wasn't just that they were trying to decide what to do after Amazon. Um, they went to work for other companies or startups. But um, I think once we had gotten to the cruising altitude with e-commerce, Chris, I, I think they, I was better able to convince them to work on the stuff that I do. So, And, and how big is the team now? Well, there's just a small core handful of us, just a less than five. Nice, <laughs> good. Keep it like that, dude. <laughs> well, it depends on what the project is. I mean, there are some people that specialize in different areas, so it sort of depends on how many people come to us with that need uh, at any given moment. But, um, yeah, I mean, meant to keep it small because there's only so, so many former Amazonians that I would want to hire to do this. Um who are available to do it and also um, just to make sure that we're not watering things down. Yeah, exactly. You got to keep the quality high. Yeah. We're not doing like this kind of mass outsourced or, you know, I, I talk to you for an hour when you first contact us and, and decide to retain us. And then all of a sudden you have trouble getting me on the phone. I mean, any appeal we do, any plan of action, um, my hands are on it somewhere and I'm overseeing, mm -hmm. you know, um, so are you worried about, scaling that the scalability of that well I don't, are you not interested in scale um i'm interested in scale but i am also selective about who we're working with because we have a lot of clients that are first of the month people we're working with them daily ongoing basis of course those are all active accounts right those aren't people who just come to me when they're suspended um so we have them and then we have the people who need a project right so they um, I mean, at this point, we're fairly sure how many of those we're going to get a week or a month. We can build that into capacity. Um, and it hasn't been a huge problem. There are spikes um, and there are periods where an Amazon's not suspending as many ASINs or accounts. Those are few and far between. So at this point, after four years, I have a pretty good wow. workflow and capacity. You know, even if an individual day is difficult uh, to get things um get things done on time that wouldn't happen on like a weekly basis dude that is fascinating to hear so you're you you see like waves of suspensions happen and then like troughs of no suspensions or, or few suspensions happening over time 
Yeah. What are we What are we in right now? Are we in a wave of mass suspensions, or are we in a quiet period? I can kind of tell you what it's like. So, and I'll use an example. Um, it was July of 2017, and then it happened again in the fall. And this isn't so much for private label brands, but the notice claims of infringement, right? Resellers, and and last fall it was more like drop shippers. People were getting suspended for inauthentic items that hadn't even sold the items just because of what they had listed. Amazon wanted to wow. Amazon wanted to figure out if they had documents, right, invoices, and authenticity letters to back up. But this without is, them being listed, this is, I mean, I'm sorry, sold. They, they had sold. Okay. they had been listed, but I had many people saying, "Well, we're drop shippers, so we don't have any invoices to show until it sells," and that's why drop shippers took a major hit last fall. Um, July of 2017, they suspended. I don't know how many resellers. I mean, my inbox filled up within a few hours with just, I mean, maybe 75 messages from people who were suspended for receiving too many infringement claims. It could have been copyright, could have been trademark. Um, lately, it's been more just straight out counterfeit um, complaints, intellectual property complaints. So, and they were large and small. There were sellers doing 40, 50, 60 million a year who were contacting me at that time. There were some doing wow, look at that. five or six million, right? And, I'm sure some of them were doing 750k to a million, um, but they were reselling. They had attracted a certain number of complaints within a particular time frame. Um, my guess is they hadn't responded to the notifications really in any of the cases, or they weren't able to get retractions from the rights owners. Um, so it was primarily, you know, for that occasion, it was primarily resellers. There are private label sellers who are hit with patent infringement complaints, trademark, of course. And other, you know, related, um, I mean, sometimes it's not a rights owner infringement. They'll have a competitor buy from them and say the product is unsafe, right? Uh -huh. or, it's, or it's not in 100% new condition and they'll be opaque about the reasons why. But the way Amazon's set up now is believe the buyer, those complaints are considered valid unless it's obvious that it's a fake complaint and they run it down by warning you and usually taking your listing away. So if you get too many of those, whether they're infringement or, or inauthentic or condition, you will get a manual review. An investigator looks at your account and, you know, you're, again, an investigation's triggered. You go into the bucket for that kind of investigation and investigators globally, whatever time of day it is, are going through them and sizing you up to see if you should continue to sell or not. And if they think that you've got too many ASIN level problems, they haven't really heard from you. There's no correspondence to counter any of the notifications. They typically suspend the account. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that is wild. So what is the top reason for suspensions now in, in 2019? Um, yeah, so the product quality team, of course, enforces item quality and item condition complaints. Buyers are only too happy to submit those almost all the time, every day, every hour. So those are extremely common. Often those come across as inauthentic complaints. Inauthentic to Amazon means anything from not as described on the site to fake or counterfeit to this isn't the quality I expected. It's kind of an umbrella term. Um, so inauthentic is extremely common. And then infringement claims, yeah, those have gotten really ugly uh, in terms of does Amazon actually reinstate your listing and give you a break if it's a false infringement and you can prove it and if you can dispute it. Um, Beyond that, a lot of sellers just aren't really looking into rights ownership issues before they list and sell things, just generally speaking. And again, that goes for private label or resellers. Um, or they just think 
that they can make these legal decisions on their own. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not an attorney and I can, you know, recommend attorneys to people who want to understand who's good at this kind of thing and who isn't, because those lines are also very clear to me. Um, but I understand the Amazon process because I used to work on the notice teams, right? I, I understand how infringement investigations go. So exactly. I, can, I can consult people on like, you know, what their next steps are for sure in almost every case. Um, and some of, some of it is murky, you know, when it, especially when you get into design or patent infringements. Oh, um, yeah. Some of that is, you know, involves a little research and investigation on everybody's side. Um, so there are a few top reasons why people are getting suspended. The one I didn't mention is product reviews abuse is also hot because there's been tons of churn and negative attention and friction around that topic at Amazon for a long time now. Yeah. Um, and I think they're just like sick of it, you know, but so, and what, what does that mean? Does that mean that they um, have proof that the seller has paid for reviews? That, but that's only one facet of what they're looking at. Um, a lot of people come to me that they've telling me they've gotten suspended and I look at their outbound messaging that's post order. Um, and the nature of the language and the requests that they're making makes it sound like they're only looking for positive reviews. A lot of people, I'm kind of amazed actually that we're still dealing with those, but a lot of people are still getting suspended for that. Even with all the, even with all the ominous warnings, you know, floating around out there, the, okay. the secret PayPal Facebook group. I mean, I guess that's hard to detect. So that's going to go on for a while, but people are getting nailed for that too. And I think over time, Amazon's just going to get better at knowing mm -hmm. where to look. Um, or you have a competitor who <laughs> lays it out in an abuse report and tells them exactly where to look. So it might not actually take them that much time if you've done all the work and, and written it up really well. So sometimes it's just an abuse report that's really well done and they go straight there and they say, yeah, this person's trying to get positive reviews and that's it. They suspend, you know, they don't typically send that many warnings for that anymore. Wow. From a competitor, like putting in an abuse report on, on their competition to try to get them suspended. It's usually a competitor, but bottom Ooh, line, that's dirty. It comes down to, right. But if it's a valid report, it kind of doesn't matter where it came from, whether it's from, a buyer or somebody who works at Amazon spotted it and initiated their own investigate, you know, whatever it might be, it's either valid or not. If it's valid it, at that point, it doesn't matter if it came from a competitor because you're doing something on or off site that you shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Although like you said, it can get murky. Like if you're asking for a review, like if there's subtext that maybe would make someone think that they should leave a positive review because Maybe the seller is providing so many accolades and um, like telling them like maybe what if they said, you know, something like, hey, glad you, um, you know, hope you love the product. Click here to leave a review or something like that. But it wasn't like if you love the product, click here to leave a review, I you know, like, and yeah, that there's subtlety here. And it's always going to be that way, I think, when it comes to how they do these investigations. But right. beyond that, just keep in mind before you do anything around reviews, just pretend, even if you're pretty sure that this isn't the case, pretend you're being watched like a hawk. Pretend like uh, everything you send out, anything you do will be examined maybe down the road, because it doesn't matter if it's something that you stopped doing four months ago. Um, if, it, if it wound up 
generating a, a preponderance of positive reviews, you're going to be punished for it if they find it. And mm. plus there's still all these reviews out there that might be deleted if they find it after the fact. So you might not get suspended for it, but you might lose some key reviews for it. Um, most people are suspended because they're getting new, fresh, fake positives, or they get nailed for leaving negative reviews on their competitors' uh, products. Good, good for them because those people suck. Yeah. That's a really it's going to happen really often, yeah. but um, yeah, take it from somebody who's looking at that stuff constantly. I mean, the balance of who needs to be suspended for creating fake reviews versus you know sellers uh, soliciting what might result in a heavily uh, grouped section of positive reviews that's not quite in balance they're more likely to suspect oh. positive review seekers so you know that sucks because for the people that are leaving negative fake reviews on their competitors listings i like that that is rampant for instance in the supplements industry i know this because of you know supplements companies that right. that judo works with it's like get a freaking life. Like that's such a, what a negative way to view the world. Like you have to tear down everyone else. Why don't you just focus on making your own product and your own business better? It just makes me angry. I just hate people like that. Like it's, that's just straight up evil to me. It's just, I know, but I mean, in some ways, like we talked about this in our last conversation about with, with, with uh, competition, some heavy competition from China in a lot of ways it's cultural. And so you can't really expect anything cultural to change unless decades pass or many years. Right, right. Unless Amazon just shuts it completely down, which they haven't yet. Um, but in terms of people who aren't working on their products, I mean, as long as there are gaps and loopholes to, to exploit, they're not going to be working on bettering their own products. They're going to be worried about, you know, anti-competitive behavior and putting a lot of time into shooting others down. So Yeah, because that's what matters to them. That's yeah. what, I mean, they just see a competitive, Competitive edge, and well, Amazon isn't going to stop me. So why would I? If I know tons of other people will do this, they'll have the edge. I won't have the edge. Amazon's not going to stop them or me. Why would I stop doing it myself? I think that's what they would tell you their perspective is if they if you asked. Um, yeah. Or it's just so normal they don't even think about it. This is just part of Amazon now, and anyone who launches any product or goes to any trade show or, or manufactures anything has to think in terms of before I even start this launch or create this brand or manufacture XYZ, what is the competition on Amazon going to look like from black hat types? It's a crazy question to have to ask yourself in that early stage of product creation. But I'm starting to think if you're going to sell anything on Amazon, you have to ask yourself that question practically day one. Right. Which is why it's, it becomes even more important to just, that, I mean, what I see is that in the Amazon ecosystem, the fundamentals get more and more important as the time goes on. In in the early days, you could have crappy product, crappy listing, crappy everything, crappy marketing, and just do some crazy promotions and like massive launches and and get ranked and sell huge volumes. And then it was like, well, the competition all started doing that. And then it was only the better products that would stay ranked. And then it was like, not just the better products, but like the innovative ones that actually have something that really is unique and really are quality. And it's just more and more like as time goes on, the fundamentals like get more and more important because the marketplace becomes more efficient. But it's like, I mean, to, to your point earlier, I was amazed the first time when I just started selling, 
I was just, you know, trying to figure out the ropes myself. And I contacted Amazon and asked them, this was before enhanced brand content was around. And I asked Amazon, Hey, you know, uh, this listing, and I was talking about a competitor, this listing has really cool content in the description instead of text. Like, I, I don't know how they're doing that, but would you tell me how I can get access to that? And they responded back saying, that is actually illegal content because um, you can't have HTML in the description of any kind. It can only be just pure text. And I log in the next day and I check, and this was the top selling product in the category. It was doing uh, between one and 200,000 a month in revenue on a single ASIN. And, uh, and I checked the, the listing the next day and, and it was removed. And I was like, I didn't mean to like, you know, hurt them or tattle on them or anything. I literally didn't know that it was like against, I was trying to figure out how to do it myself. And I was like, Oh shit, just probably caused them hell. You know, they probably got a slap on the wrist and, and had it automatically removed just because I, uh, I messaged them. So it's, it's pretty nuts how, you know, I can see why there's this culture of like tattletaling, you know, so, sort of on Amazon. People are getting more aggressive with it. They're not just talking to, I, I'm more likely nowadays to hear from people who don't just say they wrote to, to Jeff, you know, executive seller relations to complain because abuse prevention teams. I mean, there are teams built around this. There's MPA, marketplace abuse for listing abuse, hijack listings, sabotage of various uh, kinds. And there's PRA, product review abuse. But a lot of times people complain those teams don't take action on what they sent them. And instead of just saying, well, then we went to Jeff, there are people who call me and say, well, we talked to a reporter about it. And I think oh my God. that's how you got that Verge. I mean, the Verge article, it was widely read, but I mean, there's several different media outlets and national media and press that are watching this stuff that yeah. want to talk to sellers about black hat tactics. I mean, that's, that's become just as much of a hot topic as counterfeits on Amazon, which was the old standby, right? Um, yeah. Usually the first time I heard, you know, got an email or heard from a reporter didn't want to talk about counterfeits on Amazon. Now they all want to talk about black hat. Um, and it's, it's been going, you know, long before the verge article and it's going to go on for a while. So afterwards because these tactics are, are thriving you know um and some of the black hat consultants are justifying it by saying well all our clients were being attacked with black hat tactics we're just using this as self-defense <laughs> yeah yeah no that is that's always the uh the uh rationale that you hear it's so funny though because these guys will like speak at conferences and stuff this isn't like an underground like you know russian hacker type of deal i mean i i've been at conferences and yeah. spoken alongside uh, like black hat tactic consultants straight up, you know, self self proclaimed. Yeah. You know, uh, it's it's pretty nuts. Yeah. It's like out in the open. Well, I don't think they're worried about Amazon attending a conference like that. Or yeah, know, yeah, you're right. Not, you're not worried about um, getting a cease and desist in the mail, or. Um, they're not worried about any of their clients outing them. They're not worried about, I guess they're not worried about competitors outing them either. I mean, they're not worried about anything. Nothing's really. Yeah, many of them are not located in the States, so it'd be well, really hard. But there's a, there are a lot that are located in the States too, or at least some. Um, typically, they, they work with those guys that are overseas. Mm. Um, because, I mean, especially when you're talking about China, I mean, everything's kind of already been done and used 
in China and it's it's working like a charm, the next best thing is to sell those services and those products, if you'll call them that, uh, to to American based sellers, U.S. sellers. So that seems yeah, like that makes sense. The sales pitch. It's like a, a whole underground black hat tactic ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. And well, listen, dude, we're uh, oh, now that we're. I know you you've got to run to run your your event, which uh, also sounds really exciting. Yeah. I wish I could uh, join you if I was up for a seven hour drive, <laughs> but uh, so I'll, we'll 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 wrap this up now. But. Right. Can you give us some kind of juicy takeaway? Is there some kind of email address that most people don't know that shortcuts the whole seller central process? Or is there some, uh, some kind of uh, some, something juicy that we can, we can, uh, why don't we do we can take away? The juicy email is going to be mine. Reach out to me. Ooh, clever. Because I don't want to. Plus, um, people have a history of flooding email addresses that are useful True. to get things done with the if wrong it's secret. It doesn't work once so it's... People, Amazon sellers that are stuck or desperate tend to use any email queue they can find. And some really good like policy queues and some other ones that I've used over the years um, ended up getting flooded with stuff that had nothing to do with anything just because they wanted somebody to respond. Mm. Um, so it depends. It and beyond that, it depends on your situation. It depends on the particulars. I never use templates. I don't use copy and paste cookie cutter stuff because they want to know that you do the pain and the um, the homework to fix whatever the problem is, um, and they want you to send them customized content tailored to your situation. So uh, they don't want you blasting all these different emails. I'm sure once and. 500 times you can hit hit pay dirt by just sending it wherever you can but um that's not a blueprint for success on amazon um reach out to me i'm happy to look over you know any anyone within the sound of the voice of somebody named chris um i'm happy to give you a quick look at whatever problem you're encountering and at least get you sorted out um, in terms of which direction you want to go. So Chris at ecommercechris.com. It's C-H-R-I-S is my email address. And of course, the website's ecommercechris.com. I've got a contact. Okay, that's pretty cool then. So without even engaging, uh, if someone is, is suspended and they email you, you'll at least yeah. give them some kind of insider direction. Yeah, and I'm pretty good at that's it. That's a great resource then. Right on. All right, that's a good email then. So Chris at ecommercechris.com. If you get suspended, you know the first step to take. Yep. Because uh, you're panicking and all emotional and crazy because you're losing tens of thousands a day right. in revenue, but Chris will at least set you in the right direction and get your head straight. Yeah, and and figure out what your options are and also what your plan of attack is, not just what your plan of action is. I, I get that all the time, but what are you deciding early on to do? Are you going to do this yourself and you'll if it doesn't work out, you'll live with the consequences or do you understand that maybe doing it all yourself is riskier than you know having somebody like me do it from the beginning as opposed to just I'll wait till I get my three strikes and then I'll call Chris. <laughs> it doesn't always work that way. So right, right on. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thank you for coming on. Thanks for telling your story and thanks for the hot tips and, uh, and, and trends. That's all really valuable stuff and very timely this year. Are you going so, to Prosper, by the way? I'm doing a workshop at Prosper about reviewing your accounts so that you avoid the suspension before it happens. So I should be there. I haven't fully committed yet, but I, I plan on being there. Yeah. So March 17th is the workshop we're doing um, that afternoon. So hopefully I'll see some people there.
Very cool. Right on. All right. Thanks a lot for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, man. Take care. All right. Take care. Thank you, friends, for listening. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Chris McCabe, my buddy from back on the boat in Germany where we first met. Uh, If you like this, if you got something out of the story with Chris, I would really appreciate it if you could just leave a review um, on whatever podcasting site or app you're using to listen to Seller Jams. It means a lot to us. So it takes a couple seconds. Would love it if you just leave that review if you loved it. Or you can just smile and continue to drive because more than half of you are likely driving to or from work, which is cool too. Much love, guys. Let's talk soon. Chris out.